0: Welcome to Best Way to Divorce and we are making peace our weapon of choice and my guests today are Ruth Driscoll, our life liberator, Henry Ellison, a divorce chartered financial planner who those of you who've been on the workshops will know very well, a shared story, another one from Shelley-Ann Salisbury, who's a, a mediator, and a healing with Susan Kalmiller to end with. And the new stories uh, that I'll be including will be uh, divorcing couple financially penalised as a result of their litigation contact, uh, conduct, which is a, a story I'm really pleased to report on because we need a bit more accountability for that. When can parental responsibility be removed from a, a terrible parent um, and the issues that, that can come around that. Divorcing over the naming of the child and a rant about uh, litigation funding but first let us bring on our first guest of today, who is Henry Elliston. Hello Henry. Henry with the hello. <laughs> <That's okay, laughs> <laughs> And, um, so, I'm sort so angelic, and sort of on that vein, you uh, do, you do. And sort of on that vein, because you're kind of going—I would say—going solo because you have a team, don't you? But you're uh, still Henry Ellison, Charter financial planner. But you're no longer part of Efficient Portfolio. You've got your own brand now, haven't you? True Potential Wealth Management.
1: True Potential Wealth Management. That's right. So, so, so I've struck out on my own to some degree. True Potential huge company nationwide company probably two and a half thousand advisors um working for them um but the, but the time had come to to move on from fishing portfolio and there are, there are a few reasons behind that actually um which i'll take you through if i may um that i suppose that the the, the the first reason was that true potential are a really technology-based company being large, they've got lots of money behind them as well, which is really great. <clears throat> and you will know because of all the, the seminars, the talks, all that sort of stuff um, that we've done together that I really value and rate the, the, the cash flow forecasting and modeling um, that, we, that we do because I think it really, really helps people going through divorce understanding how, how the decisions that they make today will affect their future financial well being and prosperity. Um, and true potential and their systems have inbuilt this this cash forecasting into mm-hmm. into their their software and their systems uh, so much so that actually now we can build models um, and then clients can get on and, and, and change their own models to see how things things uh,
0: oh wow so quite really quite interactive
1: yeah, yeah no so it's, um, yeah. it's really good in that way the, the software we used in the past has fantastic but but it was almost so good that we couldn't let clients use it because they'd have just got confused <laughs> but, uh, um but no so it's, so fantastic so really really happy with that and the other thing that um true potential in particular are really good at um that we were beginning to struggle with an at efficient a, at a portfolio um is is looking at a de- final salary defined benefit pension transfers um mm. a, a, I would not say they're a controversial area of advice but they're certainly a highly regulated area of advice and of course an area that that that's possibly one of the more complicated areas of financial planning in divorce so all those all those people that i see who've got nhs pensions or who've got you know bp pensions or um police service or whatever it might be um, now being able to help them properly understand the values of those pensions and mm. whether or not it's right for them to to, to move them to a personal pension or or maintain the the really valuable uh, final salary element to it is great. So so those are the two the two main the, mm. the bonus that I've got with 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 the move. But no, you're absolutely right. So, but the team remains the same. So um, so I've still got my team around supporting me, which is brilliant. So they're all. They're all there and helping, um, and I'm um, still very much <clears throat> looking and helping people who are going through divorce in understanding mm-hmm. how best to do it and how best to go through the mediation and hopefully come away with a great mm-hmm. a, with a great settlement that, that works for both sides um, and in a, in a quick and amicable way.
0: And uh, and uh, being able to help them to be more involved in understanding the process rather than kind of doing it for them i think that's massively helpful because people are confused and nervous enough anyway so to be able to play more of a part in understanding what it actually is you're doing and rather than just seeing an end result is uh, is brilliant watch out you're clonking a little bit and i know that when it comes to the podcast version in particular i'll get a telling off if i don't say watch well, you're you back. You're something by the microphone. So, on behalf of on behalf of the, I am. I'm dropping
1: uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, a
0: thermal No, 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 no. Wild <laughs> Wild Heart Ray Wild Heart Radio and iTunes will not be pleased. So you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Just put your hands on. Sit on your hands. Like that's what I have to do sometimes. I'm a real waver waver around. So that's really good news. Anything that empowers people, makes them feel more in control of the process, is is again, it helps reduce attention and the um, and the potential for things to get nasty. I think it's the powerlessness that often uh, um, increases the fear and makes people more badly behaved. Um, so with the the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was cost of living crisis and how you see, you know, what are your predictions and how that's going to affect the, 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 the divorce landscape in, in well, the it's UK? It's complicated,
1: isn't it, because Rishi's unleashed this series of, of, of help for, for everyone today. Um, so I think we all get 400 quid then we offer an electricity bill in September. Well,
0: that'll sort it all out, won't it? (laughs) (laughs) Not, not that I'm complaining.
1: It's better, (laughs) it's better, it's better than Than nothing, nothing. right? (laughs) Um, hey, look, it's, I mean, it's serious and, 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 Mm. and I know it affects, it affects many people, um, Throughout, throughout society, and then sadly, of course, it affects those with less money more than it affects those with with more mm. money. Um, I, I, I. I mean, I hate to say it. I suspect, you know, these sort of things possibly lead to to more divorce. You know, it's mm-hmm. money is quite often the cause of the breakdown of a relationship. Um, and sadly, I suspect that this will be the breakdown of a couple more um, when people get to the end of the money before they get to the end of the month, which is always the, the worst way of, of, um, of, of being. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, hopefully these measures will help a little bit. The truth of the matter is I don't foresee necessarily that inflation or, or the cost of things is, is going to fall hugely for for a while yet. I mean, I think... Um, yeah. Inflation will tick down, but that, but inflation is a year-on-year measure, right? So if we've had 10% inflation this year and we have 0% next year, that doesn't mean things go back to costing how much they were at the beginning of this year. It means they stay as expensive. Um,
0: so when people are filling in their Form or those who filled them in maybe a while ago and it's taking a while, they might need to update them before yeah. they... yeah.
1: Absolutely, because things will be more expensive. Mm. Um, you know, secondhand cars what are they 15% more expensive than they were a year ago? Um, so if part of your thinking is, well, we're separating and I need to buy a new car, and you reckon that car was only going to cost you five thousand pounds, actually, now it's going to cost you five and a half thousand pounds, yeah, um, five hundred six hundred, whatever it is. Mm. So, I mean, it's a, so, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. The cost of, I mean, they have. It, they're talking about it, but but I don't think if food inflation has necessarily been seen in quite the extent that it will be later on in the year. Mm. You know, the cost of a loaf of bread, I, the cost of a pint of milk, it's all going up. Mm. Uh, and so if you based your For Me in the, the expenditure figures um, on what things were like, and it's been tricky, I know that because COVID. I thought everyone I speak to was like, oh, how do I fill in my form me when I don't know?" Because we've all been locked at mm. home the last two years. And I say, well, go back, have a look at what it was two years ago before before this all happened, and work out how much you spent on holidays. But now, really, you need to go back to two, two and a half years ago, see how much you spent then, and then whack on fifteen percent of inflation mm. um, to really give you a, a clear idea of what the numbers might be now.
0: And also to really take seriously the idea of of what they do with you if they're sensible and create that life lifestyle plan. I think you call it, don't you? Where you yeah, look into the future. Mm.
1: yeah well, no, absolutely, right. absolutely right and, and actually the other thing of course is making sure that and, and, and this is a tricky thing it's making sure you don't sit on too much cash and, and having cash is important mm. um, because you need it for day-to-day liquidity um, but with inflation running at nine percent and bank interest rates running at i mean admittedly uh, a rising but now what three quarters percent you're locking in a, the loss of value, purchase power of your money. Now, I appreciate mm. the stock market has been <laughs> it's been on and, a downward trajectory so far. This year. But, and but crypto. It, like <laughs> 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 it will turn around. It always does. And that's really the only way of, of protecting the real value of your money is to. Mm. But, but you must have you know an emergency fund and all that sort of stuff. But beyond that, it's making sure that you're getting proper returns and it's sensibly invested.
0: Mm. And looking long term. Thank you very much for your advice, Henry. You take You're care all right.
1: now. Good to
0: see you. Bye. So, our quick uh, rundown is uh, the news stories. We are going to um, have uh, the parental responsibility, litigation contact, conduct, all of those things. And uh, I'm going to dive into that now. I want to start with a tweet uh, that I saw and this is the uh, tweet by Family Law News and it's about a cost ju- a costs judgment following a financial remedy order where the parties are penalised as a result of their litigation conduct. I love these kind of stories because I'm fed up with hearing about people with huge court bills because uh, one person has been just bad. Um, But in this case it's a little bit more to it than that. So Mr Justice Peel uh, talked about the Rule 4.4 of Practice Direction 28A and this states that the, uh, the court will take a broad view of conduct for the purposes of this rule and will generally conclude that to refuse openly to negotiate reasonably and responsibly will amount to conduct in respect of which the court will consider making an order for costs. This includes in a needs case where the applicant litigates unreasonably, resulting in the costs incurred by each party becoming disproportionate to the award made by the court. Then he goes on to say, I accept the point made on W's behalf that H failed to disclose to her or the court his pre sales of units in AB Company from February to May 2021, right in the middle of the litigation. In the course of my judgment, I was highly critical of H's failure to comply with his obligation and give full and frank disclosure, describing it as, quote, deplorable. But there's more to it. On the other hand, W was guilty of misconduct in that she caused him financial losses, probably running into tens of millions of dollars by reason of having prevented H from selling part of his units following AB company listing. Had those issues not been so hotly contested, the case would have been a relatively straightforward needs-based claim, and the costs on both sides would have been vastly reduced. It seems to me to be unfair for H to bear the burden of all his costs, as well as all of W's costs, which, absent any costs order, will be the effect of my judgment. The figure for costs might well have been higher had it not been for H's litigation misconduct. So, if you're warning your soon-to-be X that you may apply for them to cover your legal fees because they are to be front-dicking about, make sure you quote this recent precedent, but also make sure you're not messing about yourself because it can come back to bite you. Now, Here's a tricky one, parental responsibility. This is uh, the Transparency Project, a fantastic organisation. And in fact, this case they said was actually reported very well in the course, but they gave us a little bit more information about it. So it's titled When can parental responsibility be removed from a terrible parent? But we're going to just look briefly at this case here. So in the summer of 2021, Jade Ward was killed by her estranged husband, Russell Marsh, at their family home. He is now serving a life sentence for her murder. She leaves behind four little boys who are now being raised by her mother and other family members. This is not an isolated tragedy. Each year, many women are killed by their partners and former partners, and it is likely that many of those will have children. So Jade's family have been told correctly that her killer has parental responsibility, PR for short, for the children, and has not lost it as a result of his murder conviction. Parental responsibility is a family law concept, and the fact that somebody has been convicted for murder has no effect on either their status as a parent or as a person with PR. Jay's family have launched a petition on the government website which seeks the automatic suspension of PR in the situation where one parent has murdered the other. At the time of writing, over 118,000 people have signed the petition, meaning that it will be debated in Parliament. So it talks about who can lose parental responsibility. All people can lose parental responsibility except the mother and a father or second female parent who is or was married stroke civilly partnered to the mother. So this means that in Jade's case, because she was married to her killer, he has the kind of PR that cannot be lost unless he ceased to be a parent because the children became adopted. Short of adoption, the court has no power to remove parental responsibility from him. Understandably this has caused distress to Jade's family, it means that they will have to consult him about such things as which school the children go to and their medical treatment and he will have the right to their medical and educational records and they will need his permission to take the children abroad on holiday. The fact that his parental responsibility cannot be removed does not mean that it cannot be limited. First of all, if an issue arises then on a situation-by-situation basis, the court can make an order dealing with that issue. For example, it can decide where the children go to school if there is a dispute between Jay's family and the killer. Jay's family argue that this is onerous, they shouldn't have to do this, and that it can be time-consuming, expensive and an added stress. It is though possible to just go to court once to obtain an order that limits all exercise of parental responsibility. This would mean that while Russell Marsh still had PR he could not use it for any purpose. In the past courts have made very wide-ranging orders preventing anyone from giving information to the dangerous parent and saying that the children's carer does not have to seek their permission about anything at all. This happened for example in the case A.H. Versus A in 2015, which involved a father who had driven a flaming car into the family home in an attempt to kill the mother and children. He too was married to the mother and so his kind of parental responsibility could not be removed. So the article says in the case of a father in prison for a long time it is going to be extremely difficult for him to exercise his parental responsibility. In Marsh's case his contact has been directly harmful to the children who have lost their mother, forcing the children's carers who are now the only stability they have to have to engage with Jade's killer may distress them, I'm sure it would, and in turn distress and destabilise the children. For these reasons, we think that if an application was made, it says to limit his parental responsibility, it would be granted. Well, let's hope that would be the case. Parental responsibility is a really important thing, so it's good that it's not easy to take it away. But definitely, in this case, let's hope that the courts see reason. And then I'm I'm not going to uh, talk about Johnny Depp uh, today because well it's not really their divorce is over and all they seem to be talking about these days is poo so we're finally going to end up here with something from the mirror my wife and mother-in-law have given our baby a different name i want a divorce it says so a man had no clue as to why his Um, his daughter was experiencing difficulties, I shouldn't laugh, recognising her name, until he walked in on his wife and mother-in-law calling her by another name. So after learning they were expecting a baby, a couple struck a deal for picking that all-important name. If they had a boy, the wife would have first dibs. But they welcomed a daughter and it would be up to the hubby to pick. The woman was so convinced that they were going to have a boy that her family gave her a pile of blue gifts at her baby shower And her mum was knitting clothes bearing the male name she'd chosen. However, when the big day finally arrived, they were blessed with a little girl. So the dad started thinking of the perfect name. He decided to go for a name he had been keen on throughout the pregnancy and told his wife he would be popping it on the birth certificate. She appeared to have no objection, so he went to make it official. But a year later... A year later, he came home from work and found his wife and mother-in-law discussing their daughter, but they were referring to her by a different name. Talking to Reddit, the confused father wrote, When I inquired who they were talking about, they kind of went deer in the headlights and blurted that they were talking about my daughter. When I asked why they were using another name, my mother-in-law said, because that's what we decided to name her. Then she went on to rant about how it's unfair that I chose the name and how it's completely unsuitable for her, etc. I was shocked because this was the first time anyone had claimed any objections to the name. It then dawned on the poster, who goes by the username u slash 5157 that his daughter has always struggled to recognise her name because he and his wife have been using two completely different names for the past year. His wife later suggested they go as far as to officially change her daughter's name. When he stuck to his guns, a fight erupted and with a new mum accusing him of being unsupportive and stealing her right to name the child she gave birth to. He continued... Here's the worst part. I could be convinced to change the first name, but the one she wants is a very odd feminine version of the name she wanted for her son. Imagine using a female version of the name Drake or Thomas. She got angry and left both my daughter and me and went to her parents. Her entire family, except my father-in-law, is calling me controlling and saying how it's unfair I chose the entire name and made it all about myself man he claims his wife assuming this is true of course he claims his wife's behavior is out of left field and creepy that he's even considering divorce and has begun to feel that she may be trying to recreate this son by sacrificing our daughter i think he could be right so i would suggest uh, that he avoids the divorce if possible takes a holiday don't take the mother-in-law and uh, get some quality communication coaching and I will be having a little rant later about litigation loans. And um, but first, we're going to have our next interview. And welcome to a regular, who is Ruth, Ruth Disco.
2: Hello, Susie. Hi, lovely to see you again. Thanks
0: for being on the show again. Um, so, uh, that poor man being accused of being controlling and stuff, now assuming that we can believe the report, but it certainly works both ways, doesn't it? There's a lot of accusations, who's been controlling it. It's very hard to know because it's um, often it's, it can be either the husband or the wife. Is that, has that been
2: your experience? Absolutely. And the other interesting aspect of that particular story is the involvement of the mother-in-law. as well, because often, (laughs) you know, a lot of control and influence can come through that channel. And, you know, that Mm. can cause, um, you know, uh, really uh, quite a a number of additional issues in the communication between um, a married couple. There's often more than
0: two people in the marriage, as I believe Lady Di once said. So um, if you, in your experience, Spirits, if you well, you were going to share some uh, you've usually got some really good stories to share what have you got for us for us this uh, for tonight's show or today's if depending on what country you're watching it in
2: yes well in fact um the the um case that I wanted to talk about actually really does link in with this issue of um the the influence and, and often a toxic influence that can come through um a parent that has been well used to controlling their child who was then now married but they're still very much in thrall to to their their own parent, um, and th- th- this really for me it highlights how it's so important that where we have um toxicity control um, th- that sort of difficult person who seems to be leading the way, and and the sort of fallout that happens as a result of that. Um, And I've been working with um, um, a gentleman um, who's divorcing his wife. They share three children together. Um, But when um, he told me about the situation with the wife, um, it strikes me that, that what she's doing is... Um, She's running on her pattern of coping strategies that she's been used to doing ever since she herself was a child, because there seems to be so much interference and damaging interference that seems to be coming through from certainly the mother and possibly both of um, the, the the parents, in, in this case, let's call them the grandparents, so that we can understand the, um, uh, you know, the, the relationships here. Um, so, for example, he told me that um, at one point the grandmother said to his 11 year old daughter, this is just an example of the kind of little throwaway remark that can do so much damage. Um, she said to the 11 year old girl, she said, you're a very pretty girl, but you'll never be as pretty as your sister. Wow. Now, when you think about, you know, the, the the sort of seeping damage that remarks like that can have. Um, and indeed, you know, with the the older child um, has been self harming. So you know, there's a, there's that sort of residue of, of damage when um, a parent has not been able to address and um, resolve issues of control um, that that they have experienced from their own childhood, then it can so easily be passed on to the next generation, and it's like you know. We've got to stop that rot. We've got to stop that rot from happening. So this gentleman, as well as um, divorcing from a wife who I don't think has in her, uh, in and of herself, is mm. a toxic person. But she's somebody that just isn't coping with life because mm. she's never kind of acted as a grown up. She's just constantly spent her life just using the same patterns of behaviour. That she used um, to to mm. get through um, when she herself was a child. It just um, shows,
0: is not it, how you know being judgmental. Oh, you know, this is the this is the narcissist. This is the innocent victim. It's not as simple as that. It's much more complex. Simple. Much more complex. And actually, that kind of judgment isn't isn't helpful at all because yeah, you know, you've still got to co-parent with that other person, sticking a label on them isn't, isn't going to really help you at all quite often and, um, yeah. and I, I suppose it is you important do you find for um, people that you work with for them to first they've got to recognize that they are in what is um, effectively an abusive relationship when there's coercive controlling behavior but then presumably they start to feel the you know anger and resentment for that but what do they do with that because actually that's not that's not going to help you help them either is it?
2: no exactly um and this is one of the most difficult aspects of it because you do feel so resentful towards mm. this person especially when you see your own children suffering as a result of it but what i what i say to people is you you know you're not going to resolve the situation if you're your feelings your very understandable feelings but if your feelings dictate the path that you take and the the channel of the communication that you take so um what we look at we look how can you be strategic about this how can you um sort of you know put aside this natural feelings that that come through so that you can operate in a way that leads to an outcome, a, a, you know, a positive outcome. That doesn't mean to say that you're giving in to this person or you're conceding to any kind of bad behaviour. Far from it. What it does mean is that you yourself are in that, that sort of driving seat of the direction that, that matters are going to, to head towards. Um, Rather than feeling helpless, um, feeling frustrated, feeling constantly agitated because you've got these churning feelings that are not helping you to be able to support the direction that you you need um, matters to go so that you can get through the divorce as swiftly and as inexpensively as possible, um, but that also you can then look at how successful co-parenting can happen in the future. Um, so yes, it's it's very hard to put aside those feelings, but that's why you've got to think always strategy. This is about a strategy, and that's the only way that you're going to be able to to sort of send the communication in the right direction.
0: And that's one of the Um, things I I love when um, I refer people to work with you is that they feel so powerless. But actually, even when they are, you know, can't wave a magic wand situation to make it all perfect. There's actually there's always so much they can do once they, as you say, have that strategy.
2: Yes, because protecting your own well-being through this whole process Mm. is really important. You matter.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you so much.
1: Take
0: You're welcome. And I'm going to get my little rant now. Um, it's uh, I want to look. It's an article on litigation funding. It's uh, at a glance regulation of litigation funding in the United Kingdom, England and Wales. It's an article in uh, Lexology by Woodford Solicitors, and a perfectly good article. i not I'm not uh, saying anything against the article, but I do have a few thoughts on this now. Litigation funding. I have had uh, concerns about how it's um, it sometimes seems to be pushed at people who you just think how are they ever going to pay this back Um, but there's a reason for that I discovered through this article which was quite interesting. So litigation funding is now used across a spectrum of cases in England and Wales and Mrs Justice Knowles recently considered its use in family law proceedings and uh, she talked about the Akhmedova versus Akhmedova case, 2020, uh, those uh, wealthy Russians that we've, we've talked about a few times on the show. So in Akhmedova, Akhmedova, sorry, it was submitted to the court that the ban on conditional fee agreements in family proceedings should be applied by analogy to third-party funding. However, Mrs. Justice Knowles was not persuaded, highlighting in respect of litigation funding, that uh, first instance decisions in the family division have concluded that a. it is, is it, you know, it is a necessary and invaluable service in the right case and b. that nothing should be said that makes it even more difficult for litigants to obtain litigation funding in the future, particularly given that there is no legal aid available in this area anymore. The voluntary code of conduct for litigation funders was facilitated by the Civil Justice Council, a government agency that is part of the Ministry of Justice of England and Wales. On the 23rd November 2011. Now this code sets out the standards of practice and behaviour required of ALF members funding litigation in England and Wales. ALF membership is voluntary. However, most of the more long-standing professional third party funders in the London market have joined. In Ahmedova, Mrs. Justice Knowles specifically noted Burford's membership of the ALF, highlighting that litigation funding practiced by a funder adhering to the code of conduct has been endorsed by the senior courts in robust terms. So if you do need to get litigation funding basically borrow money to go to court which unfortunately sometimes is necessary make sure the company adhere to this code of conduct So the codes contain a number of provisions relevant to solicitors and firms advising on funding. These include sections relating to maintaining trust and acting fairly, service and competence, conflict confidentiality and disclosure, and referrals, introductions and separate businesses. So solicitors should advise litigants on all reasonable funding options, including insurance and third party funding. It says a failure to do so could result in sanction by the SRA and potentially also liability for professional negligence. So, uh, what I found interesting was this is that it's, yeah, I've been concerned in the past how people with limited funds were being encouraged to take out a litigation loan so they can cover their solicitors' forthcoming fees um, when they go to court. But it now seems that actually it's necessary for them to provide that information. However, I would still say be really, really careful um, because I think it's it may be that it's necessary for them to mention the option that if you stay working with them, you'll need some more money, go and get a loan. However, you still got to pay it back and ha- be wary if those solicitors are not always also recommending dispute resolution, other ways going forward. Um, it could be lawyers using collaborative law. Too often the loan is offered as a as a way to just keep going down the court route so i really rec- this article says nothing about that of course but i'm saying it so please um be careful when it comes to that and be careful how quickly you jump into grabbing these loans because emotionally it can be very easy just to end up down that route and like i said you've got to pay it back some point so we're now coming to our shared story and uh, it's. It is a pre-recorded one, and it's with Shelley-Anne Salisbury, a mediator. Uh, we had a video of her last week and I've got another one. And we're talking quite a lot about solicitors, in fact. I'm often saying to people that yeah, there's different ways to do mediation. You've got shuttle mediation, going backwards and forwards between these days breakout rooms in Zoom. Um, but you've also got a more collaborative approach to mediation. and That can be what some people call lawyer-led mediation, which I don't personally recommend that much, um, right through to the other forms of collaborative mediation, which are almost like um, mimicking collaborative law, where you can have a financial planner as part of the mediation if the other person is happy to have them there uh, so that they can kind of ask questions directly and, it, and you do all within the mediation session. And could you say a little bit more about your experience? Because I know with, with workplace mediation, it's not exactly the same as uh, family law mediation. There uh, seems to be a bit more fluidity and freedom. Um, but yes. Say a little bit about that.
3: Well, I, I
0: think, look,
3: for, for me, the key word is collaboration. I think that, that's, that runs through every element of 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 a work of working life and personal life. If you can collaborate, you're halfway to actually um, you know either not going into a conflict situation or getting out of a conflict situation. And I think historically lawyers are not collaborators. They're there and they cause they caught they can cause more conflict. They are combative and it's caught, it's hardcore all those things so when you say collaborative and lawyer it's a bit of a you know it's a bit of a contradiction in terms now, as an ex-lawyer myself I was a very collaborative lawyer but probably not that wasn't necessarily something you were trained to be These days, lawyers are understanding the power of collaboration, and there there are um, courses that um, train lawyers to be collaborative. But just for example, I've been in mediations where, if you have two very traditional lawyers, they can be very obstructive, very difficult. They stop this collaboration. They stop um, this 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 sort of the the level of understanding between their clients is almost as destroying their client's case Uh, they they don't necessarily want them to go to mediation because mediation is seen as a soft option or a sort of alternative thing that they've not really fully understood but they put up with it for example in a matrimonial situation where the court has directed mediation it's seen as a little bit of an interference and stopping the process um, and it, it's never very helpful that type of mediation but where mediation is voluntary and lawyers have said it's really good me- mediation it's a very good way to try and move forward, those who understand it can be excellent in mediation because they give their clients the support and the advice but they're there to hold their hand as a mediator I'm a neutral third party I don't side. I don't judge. I don't direct. I don't give a verdict. I'm so I'm just sitting there, listening really hard to try and help them negotiate their own way out of this this uh, you know this sort of um, minefield, for want of a better expression. And lawyers, if they understand that, can actually really help me. But the ones that don't. It's dreadful and I have asked lawyers to actually leave um, an open session or even a private session in a very polite way to allow me to do my job and use the mediation techniques to their to their best
0: but for, <laughs> but for most people are doing family law mediation just to avoid confusion it normally you wouldn't drag your lawyers along as well though there are lawyer led mediations um, uh, like you i, I I'm Not to, um, yeah, you want you want to create such a safe space for people, don't you? If you've got the other person's lawyer who's been sending you nasty letters, how are you? How are you going to do that? So even on that level, I just think it's it's a bit of a wonky thing, and it's better to be able to go away, talk to them, and come back again than it is to to actually put them into the meeting. It's true, Susie,
3: and just to say, you know, you were talking about shuttle diplomacy, you know, shuttle type of mediation, where basically you're in separate rooms. And the media is going from one room to the other, back and forth, back and forth. That happens more when there are lawyers involved than when there are not. So it starts off being like that. But when you haven't got lawyers, I can more easily bring the parties together than when there are lawyers. There's a, a, you, just, you just pointed out there's an extra layer of conflict that's brought mm. into the room by having the
0: legal team there as well. And the main reason is because they are trained to hold yes. a very divisive point of view. That's the training. Whereas if you're going to use lawyers, then use collaboratively trained lawyers and do the yeah. collaborative process. Don't mess about in between and try and mess up your mediation by dragging. Well, your exactly. Lawyers in. Thanks, Shelley-Anne. That's a great, a, a great open, open-hearted conversation that uh, tells us what's really going on in the world of divorce. Uh, so we're not not lawyer bashing or criticising, but they sometimes find themselves in situations for which they're not really adequately trained, but more, um, I know lots of lawyers now who are mediators, are trained in collaborative law, and so there's a different culture growing, but not fast enough, unfortunately. Very briefly, just to let you know, um, we have an evergreen version of the Divorcing and Difficult Spouse UK workshop, which you can get, if you get your ticket, you can go, you don't have to wait, you can go straight into the workshop, and uh, there's a sport pack, and it also includes complimentary session with any of the experts. Same with the US version, uh, California uh, specific, and um, yeah, come along and uh, join us for that. And uh, you again, just go to the website and you'll be able to get a ticket there. And now I'm just going to uh, get our Susan on board. It is a recorded version, uh, actually one that we did at the end of one of the workshops. So enjoy and have a good bit of healing.
4: Hello everyone, and you've got a full view of my working space. Hello. I'd like you to take this opportunity to gift yourself moments for calm and for quiet. Thoughts are part of everyone's human experience and you don't need to keep pushing thoughts away. However, learning to bring your mind back from its thoughts is the necessary practice. But how do you let go of these thoughts once they've pulled you in. The little exercise that we're going to do offers one way to settle your thoughts, to unhook yourself from those thoughts and to simply let them be without pushing them away or denying their presence. So please settle, feel comfortable, and take these few minutes and gently close your eyes, if you wish. Notice the energy in your mind and in your body. The mind may be active. The body may feel worked up. You may notice lingering anxiety okay so we're going to do a little exercise to settle our thoughts and to help you to unhook from the thoughts and simply let them be without pushing them away or denying their presence so settle down and close your eyes and notice the energy in your mind and body the mind may be active or the body may feel worked up or you may notice lingering anxiety. And I invite you right now to think of a shaken snow globe with all that energy whirling around, all those flakes swirling around in that snow globe. And as you rest the globe, the little snowflakes fall gently to the ground take a moment to picture that and now think of yourself as a snow globe and every snowflake as your thoughts your undesirable thoughts the thoughts swirling around in your mind and in your body And now rest that globe. Rest your body. Rest your mind. And in this way, watch as each and every snowflake falls to the ground. Just watch as every thought grounds itself, just as those snowflakes. Don't force yourself to calm down. Let it happen slowly, just like the snowflakes. Now bring your attention to the breath in your body. Choose one spot where you can feel the breath. Breathe in and exhale. You may choose to feel the breath in your chest or in the abdomen, in your shoulders or in your nostrils. (sighs) Observe the physical sensation of the body breathing. And bring your mind back when it wanders away Stick with the snow globe visualization as the thoughts begin to rise up. Observe as they slowly settle down. Open your awareness to include your thoughts and your general mental state. And instead of returning to the breath when the mind wanders, notice what the mind is doing you may notice yourself planning fantasizing figuring out or replaying past experiences whatever you observe your mind doing let it be try not to encourage the thought But don't push it away either. Allow it to be. Allow it to be on its own. See if you can watch the passing of a thought as it flows its natural trajectory and then leaves the mind. Now return to the breath patiently wait until another thought arises. Notice it. Watch the thought and come back to the breath again. Notice when you are lost in thoughts or when the mind wanders for some time See if you can bring back that snow globe and if you can, become that snow globe and then gently settle the snowflakes and with it, the thoughts in your mind, they too can settle, gently, without too much disturbance. We all have these thoughts. Gently, they can move away. When you're ready, gently open your eyes, breathe normally and remember that you can gently be rid of thoughts that don't serve you. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Susan. That's lovely. Um, so, on, in the war of divorce, on the battlefield of family separation, make sure that you always make peace your weapon of choice.